This is Archive Atlanta, episode 234, Women of Atlanta, part two. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So back in March of this year, I did episode 209 about three women from Atlanta's history. And I talked about that then, but I have this collection of women in my notes, and their stories are often short in terms of research, not the length of their lives or quality of their achievements. And that has always frustrated me, coming across these women in the archives, finding out they did groundbreaking things, and then also realizing I don't even have enough to do a mini episode. But patriarchy be damned. This week, I've collected the stories of three more women into a second episode, part two, and I'm so excited to share. The three women we're talking about today are all white, uh, they're all upper class, but they do share the same profession, so I kind of put them in a group on purpose. Um, and interestingly, they did this profession decades apart. Emily Batty, Isma Dooley, and Mildred Seidel were all writers and journalists and way ahead of their time. The first story came to me through a house, specifically this cute little cottage on Woodward Avenue in Grand Park. And so I begin to research. I think I just took a photo when I was walking. Um, I started the research and I kept finding ads for a journalism school, but also is connected to a man's name. And so I soon discovered that this man's name was really a cover for a woman named Emily Verdery Bette. Um, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. It's very obviously French. Um, she was born in Bel Air, Georgia, which is near Augusta in 1826 to a pretty prominent family of that area. She later married a physician named George Magruder Batty, or Batte, uh, and he died in 1856. So I think she was about 25 when she became a widow. She stays in Georgia um, until the Civil War, and then after the Civil War around 1865, she began writing for several Georgia papers, as well as the Ladies' Home Gazette, which was based in Atlanta. In 1870, she moved to New York, securing editorial positions at the Tablet, the Home Journal, the Telegram, the Star, the Democrat, the Herald, and Harper's Magazine. She became a staff member at The Sun in 1875, and she held that position until 1890. Now, while she was doing that, she also wrote for several syndicates and national newspapers using various different pen names. As one of the earliest salaried female reporters in the U.S., she wrote about women's rights, general news, uh, fashion, religion. She became really knowledgeable about the history of women's organizations, the temperance movements, and other aspects of social and political history of American women. And later in life, she actually um, kind of was on the lecture circuit, and she her lecture was titled The Women's Century. So by 1891, Emily is still living in New York. She's in her 60s, but she's in failing health. She had retired from her salary job, but she opened a journalism school again in New York State. Now, eventually, like a lot of people, um, colder climates were rough when you were sick, so she decided to move back to her home state of Georgia, and she actually settled in Atlanta. So this is where I discovered her story. Searching about clues for 399 Woodward Avenue. Um, at this time, the address was 509. And so it took me to several ads in the local paper. They were hilarious, a little tiny kind of want ads. And it said, out of work, question mark. Do you want to be a journalist, question mark. A newspaper woman or newspaper man or boy, question mark. Send your address and a stamp to F Nestors with the address. 
After a little digging, I realized that was a kind of a fake pen name sort of that she was using. And I this was harder to figure out, but I think that Nestor, whoever he was, was a famous writer at the time because uh, earlier in a New York paper, they compared her as the female Nestor or Nestor. So in Atlanta, they did write about her as a person as Emily. Um, in the local papers, they called her the first Southern woman who ever took a reporterial position, which is kind of what we would say a reporter today. And for 20 years, she had been doing daily editorial and reporter work. I read somewhere that she did have several students in her school, but she did not live in that house very long. She did stay in Atlanta, and in 1912, at the age of 86, Emily Batty died in a private sanatorium. She was buried in Decatur Cemetery, and her papers are actually in a collection of Emory University that's, I think it's her nephew's papers are there. Chronologically next is Isma Meta Dooley. Born in 1870 in Georgia, her life and information about her is really hard to decipher what was going on. And I'm sharing as much as I found, but my friend Cynthia and I are really kind of intrigued by her and on the case. She was raised as the adopted daughter of her aunt and uncle, Martin and Meta Dooley. Uh, Martin was born in Ireland. He was a railroad employee. He was a large donor to the Church of the Immaculate Conception, which was Atlanta's first Catholic church. He had left Ireland at the age of 18. He lived first in Massachusetts, later in Savannah, and really worked his way up. So in Atlanta, he and his wife, Meta, and Meta was also born in Ireland. They were very much upper class. Um, and so I'm what I'm guessing is maybe that the origin story of Isma's parents or her early life was sort of pushed away on purpose. But anyway, she grows up a pretty privileged life. Um, she's included in all the society page events and notices. She's educated at Girls High in Atlanta and then sent to Sacred Heart College in New York. Per Isma's personal account, she began working at the Atlanta Constitution around 1889 or 1890. And in 1893, she worked in the women's department under Maud Andrews. In 1897, Maud moved to Washington, D.C., and Dooley was named editor of the women's department in the morning edition. There was actually another woman who did the evening edition. The Women in Society page, as the title was um, in the paper, was really groundbreaking because it's considered the first women's page in a Southern newspaper. Beyond the regular womanly topics, uh, she also wrote about war, race, sports, prison conditions, women's rights, just to name a few. Fairly progressive for her time. I think if you read some of it now, it's very dated and not as progressive as she probably thought she was, but she was writing about things that few white women were. She was a founder and leader of the Atlanta Women's Club and the Georgia Federation of Women's Clubs. Uh, she also worked to ensure that women could attend the University of Georgia, and she was an active member of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. During World War I, she headed the publicity department of the Georgia Division of Women's Committee Council of National Defense. In 1921, while at her desk at the Constitution offices, she was stricken with what the doctor called an attack of angina pectoris. Um, she remained unwell. From what I can kind of gather, she had a stroke of some kind, and she spent three months in the hospital, really only seeing immediate family, before dying at the age of 50. Her body was brought to her mother's apartment at the Georgian Terrace, and then her funeral was held at Sacred Heart. And her pallbearers were some of the most prominent men in Atlanta. She was buried at Oakland Cemetery. 
Mildred Rutherford Woolley was born in Atlanta in 1889. Her father, Vassar Woolley, was an attorney uh, and a businessman, and her mother, Elizabeth Cobb Rutherford, came from a very prominent family. Mildred was the eldest. She had a brother who was born about six years after her. And needless to say, very high society Atlanta family. They lived in a very, very big house on West Peachtree and their comings and goings were featured in the society pages. Mildred attended Washington Seminary in Atlanta, the Lucy Cobb Institute in Athens, which her namesake, her great aunt Mildred, was actively involved in. And then in 1907 to 1908, she went to the Sorbonne in Paris. It was in Paris that she met two Belgian-born brothers, Paul and Max Sedel. As her obituary states, both men fell in love with her, but it was Paul who won her heart. So they married in 1910, moved to the United States where Paul, um, who was a scientist or a chemist, started a company called the Sedel Chemical Company. The couple had two children, Paul and John, and they lived in West Virginia where the company had a plant. So it was there that Mildred began writing for the Charleston, West Virginia Gazette. She added an extra L to her last name to create what she called a more balanced pen name. The first thing that Sadell wrote about was palm reading. And so this is kind of hard to maybe explain, but from what I can understand, this was not a serious endeavor. She was not like actually reading people's palms. She was using it as like a catchy gimmicky thing that would lure her readers and it would allow her as a woman to write character assessments and talk about people under this kind of quote unquote fun umbrella of palmistry. By 1924, her husband's company had failed and the couple moved to Atlanta where he founded the Sedell Woolley Company, which manufactured textile dyes. Mildred got a job in the society department of the Atlanta Georgian newspaper and was quickly promoted to columnist and feature writer. The Georgian had been purchased by William Randolph Hearst in 1912, and it was he himself that asked Mildred to cover the Scopes monkey trial. Mildred was assigned the task of examining the hands of the people in the trial, um, getting their hands photographed, and thereby analyzing their character. And even though this assignment was definitely more gimmicky than news story, she really emerged as a prominent Georgia journalist. She and Paul often traveled, and in 1926, she interviewed Benito Mussolini. And this led to a syndicated series called, quote-unquote, Talks with Celebrities. Later, an advice column called, What Would You Do? And that ran from 1926 to 1931. By the 1930s, Adele had emerged as a women's rights advocate, she served as the Atlanta and Georgia chair of the National Woman's Party and associate editor of the group's national publication, Equal Rights Magazine. She published two books, Secret Fathers in 1930 and Chins Up in 1939. The first book was about a young woman who chose to have a child out of wedlock. This is 1930. It was very shocking. And the latter was a collection of her previous columns. In 1940, she founded the Sedell Syndicate and the Think Tank newsletter. Her husband, Paul, died of cancer in 1944. Um, she ended up traveling by herself and then visiting Belgium to visit his family, where she reconnected with his brother, Max. He was then a hotel director and a wine connoisseur. The couple fell in love and got married in 1947, and they lived in Belgium for 20 years. During that time, she founded the Mildred Sedell Publishing Company and the Sedell Quarterly. 
She and Max eventually moved back to Atlanta, and by 1972, the Constitution did a big feature on her. I think at this point, she was living on about 218 acres in South Fulton. She was just wrapping up constructing a studio where she planned to write a novel and hopefully an autobiography. So the title of this article or this feature um, in the 70s was, quote, it was so hard being a woman in those days, end quote. And in it, Mildred talks about wanting to be a lawyer when she was a kid, but she wasn't allowed. How she lost her American citizenship when she married a Belgian man um, because she was a woman. Um, how when she began to earn her own money, she was not allowed to open a bank account or sign a contract without her husband's consent. And it's comical because in 1972, there were still a lot of things women couldn't do, but she was really just like, you don't even know how hard it was. Max died in 1978, and Mildred died in 1988 at 98 years old. She was buried in Westview Cemetery, and one of the articles in the paper mentioning her death published this quote from her, where she said, I, quote, much preferred to set the stage for an adventure rather than the table for dinner, end quote. So there you have it, the quick story of three more women from Atlanta's history. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review. Uh, you can also visit the Patreon link in the show notes if you want to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.